This week on Missions Today. Just really this unique privilege and opportunity that the Lord gave me to engage with a, a whole variety of different cultures and, and countries and worldviews. Came into contact with some stark realities, including how from the West, the majority, the, the high percentage of our resources, of our energy, of our finances, are going towards mission work or, or international ministry in places that are already considered reached. So, if much of the ministry happening around the world is focused on those already reached, what's the alternative? Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. Well, the alternative is reaching out to those people and communities that are completely unreached or most difficult to engage. That is the focus of our guest this week, Ben Stewart. Ben leads Uncharted International, an organization who strongly believes in being bold with the gospel, but in a way that best benefits each community they work in. So whether they're providing food, shelter, or education, the gospel is always at the heart of their mission. Doing brave things to advance the gospel. That's the topic this week on Missions Today. Hey Ben, tell us a bit about the birth of Uncharted. On paper, Uncharted was born about 12 years ago or so out of the heart, mutual heart desire of a couple of local churches in Southern Indiana in a, in a town called Evansville. And I actually joined it as the, the new president about seven years ago. And at that time went through a pretty significant refocus of mission, of vision, sort of a renewal to uh, why Uncharted was birthed in the first place. And so our, our primary reason of existence, some of the language that we use is we, we say we want to help people do brave things to advance God's kingdom. And we love this idea of seeing people come alive in their faith. And specifically, we work in international locations that are very unreached, but also overlooked. And our ultimate goal in those locations is how do we help catalyze discipleship movements that ultimately lead towards the establishing and growth, establishment and growth of local church. And so we, we work in several different locations around the world. What we do in each location is very different from place to place, depending on the context and the culture. But the ultimate goal in those places is, again, to help catalyze discipleship movements. And along with that, we love connecting churches here in the West to what God is doing in those places. And so we we have this belief that the church, God's people, is the primary means to which his mission is accomplished. Um, and so we sort of see that as like an inhale, exhale. Um, how do we connect God's people here in the West uh, to his mission of redemption and restoration in these particular places that are very unreached and overlooked? That's great. I love that. We'll come back to more about Uncharted and some of the specific work you do and ultimately how people can get involved. But I want to hear a little bit of your story. We'll even back up before you became president of Uncharted. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and your journey of faith. Yeah, yeah. I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version, but uh, happy to unpack anything else. So grew up into a Christian home. Uh, my parents were, for all intents and purposes, pretty much first-generation believers. And my dad actually became a pastor. And so uh, I'm, I'm the youngest of three. And by the time I was born, they were new believers and also newly in ministry. That was in Connecticut. And as a result of being in ministry, we moved around a fair amount. And so I kind of claim Connecticut as my place of birth and where I spent some of my formational years. 
I also lived in Texas. So one of my many faults is I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then when I was in junior high, we moved to Wisconsin and that's where I finished, uh, you know, middle school and high school. And then I actually took a gap year and, and ended up living overseas by myself in New Zealand. And that year was what I would describe as, you know, one of the top three formational things that God used in my life, certainly just as a person, but also in my faith and also in my calling. Some pretty profound things happened in my life during that year that that really, you know, I didn't have this language at the time, but but looking back on it, um, just this profound, profound sense of that I want you to be engaged in helping, uh, helping people come alive to what it is that I've called them to be and to do. And so that kind of set the trajectory of, of vocational ministry. And since that time, most of my ministry years were spent in a particular denomination called the Christian Missionary Alliance. I had never heard of them, but didn't grow up a denominational guy, but just kind of stumbled into them. And, and uh, one of the things about the Alliance that I appreciate is they have a very strong global perspective and, and the strong engagement with God's global kingdom, which was something that I grew up uh, really passionate about and valuing. So a few different roles in, in different church contexts with the Alliance, including missions pastor, church planter, and then I ended up actually working at the national office out here in Colorado for, for several years with the Christian Missionary Alliance. And honestly, that's that time is what God really used to open my eyes to this whole other world. My Sort of my vision for vocational ministry had been very focused on local church, you know, so pastoral roles. And it was the time that I had at the national office where my eyes were really open to just this really exciting, beautiful realm of of sort of nonprofit, faith-based, international work, uh, you know, whether it was missions work or just humanitarian faith-based work, whatever, whatever it may be. And uh, ultimately, that's kind of what led me to to Uncharted just over seven years ago. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I want to go back just for a moment to your years of youth. You were raised a preacher's kid. Uh, very often that can kind of push you two directions. Either you're motivated to kind of continue the 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 ministry aspect of your life, or many kids are are kind of pushed away from that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Did you find yourself at any point in those earlier years before that gap year feeling that you were headed one way or another or intent on one direction or another? Yeah, I know what you're describing. And I would say that the way that it kind of played out for me is the, the Christian culture that we ended up in, and this is, you know, no fault of anybody, it's just kind of how how it ended up. But the Christian culture that we ended up in was a very unhealthy Christian environment. Uh, looking back, um, a lot of a lot of performance based Christianity, a lot of hyper legalism, and so the way that I responded to that was actually honestly to embrace it. And so the early years of my faith were very much defined by performance and fear and this, this, I would say wrong belief that I, you know, I really had to perform in order to earn God's love. And so on the surface, my life looked pretty decent because it was all about behavior. And so one of the, that was one of the profound ways that the spirit broke into my life in this gap year in New Zealand is, is really introducing me to, to really what grace and freedom in Christ actually are. 
Yeah, I, I did not go the black sheep route as a pastor's kid. <laughs> I, I went the other extreme. So uh, that's what that looked like for me. Yeah. And talk for a moment about uh, once you got to Christian Missionary Alliance, you said that you really be, your eyes really kind of began to open to the need, to the opportunity. Was it anything specific or just in general, the work they were doing, you began to see a much broader a picture of how you might be involved. Yeah, I think so. I'd, I'd grown up, um, you know, with a level of exposure to God's global kingdom, did a lot of short term mission trips, you know, the, the late 80s, early 90s, early 2000s, when short term trips were really taken off. So, so I, you know, had my opportunity to be a part of that. The role that I was in, though, at the national office was basically I led one of their global initiatives. And um, it's just really this unique privilege and opportunity that the Lord gave me to engage with a, a whole variety of different cultures and, and countries and worldviews, came into contact with some stark realities, including how from the West, the majority, the, the high percentage of our resources, of our energy, of our finances are going towards mission work or, or international ministry in places that are already considered reached. Um, I think they say it's less than one cent of every dollar is actually going towards initiatives to places that are unreached where they haven't heard the gospel. And and that really caught my attention and I think really shaped a lot of, you know, how I wanted to spend a good chunk of the rest of my life. Uh, talk about that path to Uncharted. How did you end up there? And And talk about as you moved into that position, the feelings as you began and kind of what you felt like you needed to do. You talked about some pretty substantial change shortly after you got there. Yeah, well, it was truly an act of God. I mean, I had barely heard of the state of Indiana, let alone Evansville before. So we we had a, a really great ending at the national office. Like we left on good terms, which was cool, but, but just sensed uh, that our time there was done. Um, it, it was neat. Just different mentors helped me realize uh, more of an apostolic bent in my leadership and um, the way my gifts had been utilized and, and come to fruition at the Alliance were sort of done. And so my wife and I, we actually resigned from that position before we knew what was next and just spent the season of what do you have for us, God? And so to make a long story short, uh, Uncharted at that time was looking for a new president. They got in contact through mutual, mutual people uh, to my name. We interviewed and it was one of those classic stories of no way, God, you know, and then that's <laughs> exactly where you want to. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie. The first three years were pretty tough. I, I felt uh, a bit tricked by God. I felt like there was some things I wasn't really aware of stepping into it, but looking back on it, completely see how God used it in profound ways in my own spiritual formation, uh, things that he wanted to reveal and 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 refine and form in my own life, which I'm really grateful for things he did in my family, which was really sweet. Um, but then, yeah, that I would say the first three, especially to four years of my time at Uncharted were all major reset, like major reset button because of good intent is sort of a classic story of people with good intentions committing to things that in the end weren't the healthiest. And so Uncharted had become uh, very confused in its vision, confused in its mission, confused in its identity. Why do we exist? What are we about? One of the, you know, sort of funny now indicators of this is when I interviewed the board during my, my interview process, I asked each board member individually, what's the vision of Uncharted? 
and I got a different answer from every board member. So that, you know, that's, a, that's usually <laughs> yeah. a pretty good red yeah. flag. Of like, we got some work. Yeah. So yeah, those first few years really were just rolling up sleeves and, and, you know, making hard, but healthy decisions of letting certain things go that in and of themselves were good things. Um, but they just weren't the right things for us to focus on rebuilding culture. There was some pretty unhealthy culture amongst the board and staff. So rebuilding that, rebuilding the board, rebuilding the staff. So the way I like to say it is even though it's existed for 12 years, we've really only been functioning uh, in a way that I would say is healthy and effective for the, really the last you know three to four years. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, growing pains, that's, that's part of it. And, you know, I've worked with organizations that have been around 130 years and I've worked with some that are just brand new and they always seem to have these occasions come up where it's it's refocus it's rediscover it's as you said get rid of some of those things that just are beyond mission creep often happens you know it's a good thing but it's just not what you were called to do so i appreciate you sharing that because i think you know everybody looks at ministry at least i know a lot of people i've talked to have especially those who have not been in ministry they look at it and it all sounds and looks so wonderful and you're doing god's work and in the background it's kind of like a sausage factory you know you don't want to know what goes in but uh what comes out is is not too bad yeah. Talk for a moment now about Uncharted International. You talked about the specific nature of wanting to reach internationally. You talked about uh, less time on those who were reached, much more focus on those who were unreached. Talk a little more specifically about the day-to-day -day of what Uncharted does, and uh, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so kind of like I said, we specifically focus on people, groups, and locations that are not only considered unreached. And, and how we define unreached is experts, or they, whoever they are, say that typically um, it, it takes 3% of a population you know, to buy into something where it can have its self-replicating sustainable movement. And so when it comes to gospel presence, usually a people group is defined as reached when there's 3% of the population or more who are professing, you know, Christ and, and following Jesus. So we, we look for people groups and places that are less than 3%. And depending on the source you look at, um, it's anywhere between two and a half conservatively, more real, realistically, probably uh, upwards of 3 billion people. 3 billion people are still considered unreached in the world's population today, which, you know, that alone is a staggering number when you pause and think about it. So we, we say we want to work in locations that are unreached, but also locations that are overlooked. And what we mean by that is, thankfully, there's more and more organizations and churches who are starting to pay attention to people, groups, and places that are unreached. And so we really want to identify the places that not a lot of other people are paying attention to yet for whatever reason, or they're overlooked. There's just not a strong presence of either national believers or people coming from other places. And so typically those are places, not, not every location, but typically those are places that are highly volatile. You know, there's a lot of history of war. There's a lot of history of political unrest. And so we work in places like Central Asia. Because this is being broadcast, I can't actually specify all the, the locations, but we work in places in Central Asia, North Africa, East Eastern Asia. We work some of the places I can specifically name would be like Myanmar, for example. There was a military coup there just a couple of years ago. Serbia and Eastern Europe, former Yugoslavia. And, and there are places where the common denominator is, for any reason, 
there's a high resistance to the gospel. It could be because there's another particular religious worldview like Buddhism or Islam. It could be because there's a high suspicion to religion itself, like in the case of Serbia. So Jesus is viewed as like the Easter bunny. You know, if you're a Christian, you're considered to be part of a cult in Serbia. So we kind of identify where are these places that are that are pretty resistant to the gospel. And then what what we do in a variety of ways is basically identify who are the brave men and women in those places, the national believers who are already living out God's mission, who are already living out this passion, this desire to see disciples made in in their place, in their context. And really, we see ourselves in this role of how can we just help pour a little fuel on that flame? How can we help accelerate what God is already doing? And I think that's one of the things that that's one of the beliefs that really shapes our missiology is God's kingdom is already in these places. We don't go to bring Jesus there. We don't, you know, we don't think it's it's just all filled with darkness. God's kingdom is is there. Uh, his light, his presence, his life is there. And there's these brave men and women, many times who are just in quiet, secret, clandestine ways, living out the hope and life of Jesus. How can we come alongside of them and help accelerate what God's doing through their lives and help multiply disciples in those places? So anyways, I rambled a little bit there, but that's that's the ultimate goal is that catalyzing of, of discipleship movements. And, and we do it in partnership with national believers on the ground and what those national believers do in each location looks a little different. And I'm happy to give some examples of that. Yeah. You know, Ben, I love hearing that. And I'm hearing it more and more in the programs I'm doing about finding people who are already doing the work and finding ways to support them and the work they're already doing. And probably they are most likely to be able to reach their own people even more so than than Westerners. And I know we've been learning that lesson for a while, but the the actual act of going in and finding people who are already doing it uh, seems to be more prevalent now as well. Yeah. yeah give, if you could give a couple of examples maybe of the kinds of things you do. Are you offering discipleship training? Is it materials? Is it leadership training? What kinds of things are you doing to help with that discipleship movement that ultimately can help support maybe a local church? Yeah. So again, uh, the short answer, it's a, it's a mixture. So there's a particular country in Central Asia where we've been able to come alongside some underground believers. And these men and women are living out their faith in a very, very dangerous, risky climate. And they're doing things like, for example, some of them came together and they started an underground school for women. Mm. They live in this country where education is frowned upon for women. And so they wanted to help bring dignity to women. And they've started these sort of like, I like to talk about it as like the underground railroad for education for women. And so imagine these groups of women moving from house to house, teachers moving from house to house, teaching them different subjects. Yet all of the people who are overseeing this, this program, this initiative are followers of Jesus. And so when the time is right, when there's enough trust that's been built, they get to share the gospel. They get to share Jesus. And mm -hmm. we've seen over 30 women just this year alone come to be followers of Jesus in, in a in a landscape that's very resistant to the gospel. So so that would be one example on one end of the spectrum. It's more clandestine. It's more humanitarian in nature in terms of its approach for a variety of reasons. And yet in the context of that humanitarian work, the gospel is being shared. People are being baptized. Disciples are being made and multiplied. And so we have a few different locations that 
have different iterations of that sort of work. So it's very humanitarian in nature. There's a lot of food distribution. There's a lot of home rebuilding. There's a lot of well drilling, education initiatives, business initiatives, things that allow us to build trust with the community, things that give us a valid reason for having a presence. And then also, we believe that the gospel is meant to be a holistic expression, you know, that it's affecting certainly the spiritual destiny of people, but also their, their here and now. Versus the other end of that spectrum would be like in Serbia, for example, where you don't have the same degree of open persecution. You don't have the same degree of need for clandestine work, yet it is still very resistant to the gospel. And so what our work looks like there is basically identifying a group of national believers who have a desire to be trained as church planters, who have a desire to be sent out almost like as missionaries in their own country. And so there's a group of men and women, national believers, who have started a church planting training and sort of sending agency. So they're running it. They're doing the training. Uh, that's one of the things that we say about ourselves up front. We're not the experts. We're not experts in Myanmar. We're not experts in Serbia. We're not experts in Central Asia. But we get to come alongside the national believers who are the experts. And so we support church plant training in Serbia. We support the training itself, the materials. But then we also send out people into different parts of the country, places and villages where there are zero presence of, of followers of Jesus. So those are just two examples. We work in North Africa, working with refugees from the Arab Peninsula. We work in Myanmar, where we have a group of church planters scattered throughout the country who are doing all types of creative ways of reaching their communities, starting different home groups. Most of our churches are home-based, cell-based, underground. Some of them look a little bit more like what we would be familiar with churches. So it is very varied depending on the location. No, uh, it's, it's just exciting to hear, and we love telling God at work stories. So as you have shared those today, I know people's hearts will be encouraged to hear what God is doing around the globe, and in this case, specifically through Uncharted International. Uh, before our time runs out, I would love for you to take just a moment, tell our folks what maybe is on your heart for the years ahead, what you're praying for, how we could pray along with you and support the work that you're doing with Uncharted in the next several years. Yeah, thanks for that question. A couple of very specific dreams that that we have in front of us. As of today, we're active in five different locations, and we would love by the end of 2025 to, to see that doubled. Um, we would love to be, by God's grace, actively present in some way, shape, or form in 10 unique locations around the world. And so I would just ask for, you know, for prayer um, as we discern what those opportunities look like, humility as we pay attention to where the Spirit is leading us or not. So that's one specific dream uh, to go along with that. Another would be Today, we have about close to 100 what we call field partners. Those are the men and women that we come alongside with internationally. So as of today, there's around 100. We would love to add another 50 by the end of 2025. So that's another dream we have. I would say one very practical way people could engage with that is we have a community that's called Basecamp. And you know, if you Think about what that word represents in any sort of pioneering endeavor. The base camp is the place where people come for resupplying and refreshment and rest and, all right, let's go back out type of thing. And that's the sort of community that we want to build is people who have this shared passion of how can we help reach people that are very unreached and overlooked. 
through our resources, through soul care, through prayer, and through encouragement. So if people wanted to go on our website and check out Basecamp, it's a, a very easy, tangible way to engage in helping reaching people in some of the most unreached, overlooked parts of the world. A final question for you. Obviously, God has worked in amazing ways through your life. Started as a pastor's kid, but he took you through some routes, some you were planning, others you weren't, and even some things that were challenging along the way. For somebody feeling that God is is pushing them to do something, whatever that thing is, he's he's put that burden on their heart, he is directing them to do something, but maybe they're just a bit hesitant at the moment. They just need a little bit of a word of encouragement. What would you share with them today? Well, there's a reason why our tagline is go boldly. That That's very much our ethos. And, and honestly, it's very much my ethos. And so we don't have enough time to waste around, right? And so I'd say just go for it. And God is so gracious with the decisions we make. And so even things that might, you know, we might look back in years down the road and and feel like this was a mistake or I'm not sure this was the right decision or I didn't go about this the right way. But I'm just so grateful that God is gracious as we go for it, you know, as we move forward, as we explore what does it look like to engage in his mission. Just go boldly, go for it, step out, see what God does with it. God is a God of redemption. Uh, He's going to redeem your decisions. He's going to redeem your actions. He's waiting for you to step out and just go for it. Step out and go for it. I love that. Another great word of encouragement for each of us processing what the Lord would have us do next. My thanks to Ben for his time today. And if you want to learn more about Ben or Uncharted, just check out today's podcast notes. And a quick note about this podcast, Missions Today is developed and produced by me and my friends at Resource Global to spotlight the leaders and trends shaping the global church and global missions today. You can learn more about Resource Global at resourceglobal.org. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we'll hear from a woman fully engaged with her local church missions, and there's a bunch. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and join us next time, Missions Today, a production of Resource Global.